Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's student pastor Evan Sastar. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be in God's house today. Very excited to preach God's word. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor Evan Sastar. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm very uh, honored that Pastor Chris, my dad, would allow me to bring the word today, and I'm excited for what he's going to do. Um, I feel really bad doing this. Will you stand one more time? I should have just left it. In honor of God's word, we're going to go to Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And we can end it right there. Thank you so much for standing in honor of God's word. Hey, when I was in elementary school, the, um, the internet was still young. I know that sounds weird to say, but it was, and its trends were still young, and there weren't all these put together like memes and jokes. There was just a bunch of weird stuff. And when I was in elementary school, I had a friend who he and like his whole family were so good with computers. I mean, they knew everything about it. They knew everything about internet culture. And so one day, he sent me an email, and I don't know how he got in contact with me, but he's like, you need to go open this email. What I've sent you is awesome. So back in those days, you didn't have multiple computers. You had the family computer. So I get on that, and I go on my email, and I see what my, like, elementary school buddy has sent me, and he sent me a file, and it doesn't really say what it is. But I'm like, you know, what could this be? Maybe it's like a funny picture or a funny video. Who knows? Who knows? So I click on this file, and it opens up, and all of a sudden, a music video starts playing. Most of you have probably heard this song, whether or not you know it or not. It was a music video called I'm Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. It is the cheesiest 80s song ever. And I'm like, what is this? But then all of a sudden, a second window, and a third window and a fourth window, and a fifth window, and Rick Astley's music video, Never Gonna Give You Up, is just popping up and multiplying at a rapid rate. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, my elementary school friend is gonna kill the family computer over a weird internet joke involving this 80s music video. And so I had to quickly go down and like press the button to kill the computer, like you're not supposed to do that. Thankfully, when I turned it back on, the computer was saved. There's nothing like particularly funny about that song. I mean, it's like cheesy and all of its 80s glory. Like the contents of the song, it's just about like a boyfriend, like professing his fidelity to his girlfriend. You've definitely heard it. Like I'm never going to give you up, let you down, run around, hurt you, make you cry, say goodbye, tell a lie, desert you. It's so unbelievably cheesy, right? But that's what the whole song is. There's nothing like about it that's funny. The internet just decided this is funny. 
And if I can just take a hard turn and ultra-spiritualize this as much as possible, isn't that kind of the character of God? Right? Hasn't he promised to be faithful? Hasn't he promised to be true to his promises? Hasn't he said that whatever he's going to do, he's always going to follow through? He's never going to hurt us. He's never going to let us down. He's never going to lie. He's always going to be there for us. Maybe if I could take a serious note, maybe the reality is, is you've walked in today and you desperately need to hear about the faithfulness of God. Maybe you've walked in and you've got a grievous sin that you've committed just weighing on your conscience. Maybe you're, you're backslidden, you're honest, you've walked away from the Lord, and you're wondering, is the offer of the gospel still for me, or have I out the grace of God? Or maybe you've experienced human infidelity in your life, and you're questioning, will God be faithful to me? If my spouse wasn't faithful, if my parents weren't faithful, if that former pastor or church member wasn't faithful, will God be faithful to me? But on the flip side, maybe it's not that you need to receive the faithfulness of God. Maybe today you're struggling to reflect the faithfulness of God. The truth is, is that your marriage maybe isn't going so well. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this person doesn't deserve my love. They don't deserve my fidelity. What have they done for me? Maybe you have an enemy in your life going, why should I love them over anyone else? But I've come to tell you today that God is a faithful God. He will fulfill all of his promises to you, and by his spirit, he will give you the strength to reflect, reflect that faithfulness and love in the sinful, dark world. And so today, that's why we're actually looking at the book of Ruth. And um, because we're going to look at the whole story, I'm going to basically just summarize the whole story to, to you. We kind of read the ending there and then just preach very quickly from that. So before we dive into the story of Ruth and Boaz, we need to zone out a little bit and kind of take a, a, a picture um, of what's happening in Israel right now. So before the book of Ruth, we've got the book of Judges. God has taken his people out of Egyptian captivity. He's promised to be their God. He's promised them you're going to be a righteous and a holy people. Joshua has led them into the promised land, and he is just slaughtering cities, and they are just, they're taking over, and things are going really, really good. And it's looking like Israel is going to be a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a light to the world, until they weren't. Go read the book of Judges. And the whole book is about God's holy people diving into sin and actually getting worse and worse and worse and worse. In fact, the tagline is, in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as the people got worse, the leaders called the judges got worse. So you've got sinful leaders and sinful people. In fact, the book ends in civil war. The people are slaughtering each other. And so now the reader of the Bible has to ask this question. Will God be faithful to an unfaithful people? These people have turned their back on him. They're worshiping idols. They're slaughtering each other. Does God have any good reason to fulfill his promise to Abraham that through his seed all the nations will be saved because his people don't look like it right now? And then all of a sudden we're given this love story of Ruth and Boaz. What does that have to do with anything? Well, what we're going to find is the story of Ruth is not actually a story about dating or like a good marriage or something like that. It's actually a story about the faithfulness of God to his people. So then we begin the story of Ruth, and it begins with um, a woman named Naomi, 
and her husband Elimelech, and they are Israelites. And there's a famine in the land, so they moved to Gentile territory called Moab. And while there, Naomi's two sons take Moabite women as their wives. But then tragedy strikes, and Elimelech and his two sons, they die. And so now the main characters in the story are just three widows who have nothing. And eventually they move back to Judea, and when they get there, Naomi looks at these two Gentile women who are now widows, and she says, just go on back to your land, to your people, to your gods. God has made my life nothing but bitterness. I have nothing to offer you. One of the widows says, yes, I'm going back, but the other one named Ruth says, no way, I'm staying. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going. And if I break this promise, may God kill me. Only death can separate us. And Naomi says, you have shown me in the Hebrew, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, hesed. It means loving kindness. Or here's a better translation, loyal love. Covenant faithfulness. I am a bitter widow You are a widow. I have nothing to offer you, no more sons for you to marry, no money to give you. I have nothing, and yet you're choosing to be faithful to me. Well, the story goes on, and Ruth is uh, eventually she's out in a field, and she's gathering up kind of the scraps as the people are are reaping from the field. She's gathering grain. In those days, poor people could go, and as they worked the field, they could kind of gather up what was left behind. And she meets the owner of the field named Boaz, and he tells her, don't go gathering scraps in any of the other fields. He ensures that she's going to have enough to eat. He even invites her over for dinner that night. Things are going good. And so Ruth comes back, and she's like, Naomi, I met the owner of the field. His name is Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz? Oh, he's actually a member of Elimelech's family. In fact, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer? In those days, a kinsman redeemer would be someone's family member who would redeem kind of a a tragedy. For instance, if a man was married to a woman, an Israelite man married to a woman, but he died and he had no heir, it was seen as a tragedy that his family name would die out with him. So the kinsman redeemer was a family member, a male family member connected to him. He would come and marry his, you know, his, his, uh, the widow uh, of the deceased family member. He would have a child, presumably a son, and while biologically this is the child of the kinsman redeemer, on paper it's the child of the deceased husband. It is a way of continuing his lineage and his family name on. And Naomi says, there is an opportunity here. Boaz, who has been so kind to you, is a kinsman redeemer. He may marry you. He may provide a son for you. He may continue on Elimelech's family name. Go and approach him. So one evening, Ruth goes and she approaches Boaz. And she asks him, will you be my kinsman redeemer? And he says, I will, but there's actually someone closer in line than me. And so I need to make sure if he wants to do this thing, we're going to let him. But if he doesn't, I will be your kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz goes up to the man. He says, hey, I've got an opportunity for you. Naomi, she needs a kinsman redeemer. She has a field. Will you purchase the field and give her the money and give the field right back to her? And this man is thinking, this is a good deal. She has no husband. 
She has no children. I'm going to pay for this money. When she dies, I get this field. I can be the kinsman redeemer. And he says, wait a minute. There's a catch. Not only do you redeem Naomi, but there's this poor widow named Ruth. You need to marry her, to have a son with her, to raise him and provide for him and give him that field of Naomi that you have to purchase when it's his time. And the man looks at Boaz and he says, I'm sorry, I can't do it. It's at too great of a personal cost to me. I'll have to spend too much money on the field, too much money on the child, commit too much of my time. It's all give, give, give. There's nothing in it for me. I I can't put my own personal inheritance at risk. So Boaz comes back to Ruth and he says, I've got good news. He doesn't want to do it, but I'll be your kinsman, redeemer. And this man is not next in line, but he chooses to step in. And at great personal cost to himself, he gives and he gives and he gives, knowing he will get nothing in return. He pays money for a field he'll never truly own. He marries a woman that's not truly his wife. He bears a son that on paper is not his son. He carries on a lineage that is not his, all out of his said, steadfast, loyal, faithful love. These women have nothing to offer him. Ruth can do nothing for him, but he chooses to draw near, become their family, and provide all that these poor widows need. Listen to me, church, is this not the story of what God is going to do with his people, Israel? You've got to understand, at the close of the book of Judges, they are living as widows, as if they had no God, as if they had no faithful husband. They are spiritually poor and spiritually dead, and if God chose to step in and redeem wicked, sinful Israel, there is nothing that they could give him in return. But Boaz steps in, and he has a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son, a little boy named David, born in the town of Bethlehem. And David is a king that is unlike every other evil, wicked judge that they had in the book of Judges. He is a man after God's own heart. And he rises up, and instead of leading the people into idolatry, he leads them into worship of Yahweh. Instead of allowing the nations to corrupt them, he leads them to worshiping God, and he fights the Philistines in these major and important battles. Instead of leading the people into sin, King David leads the people into righteousness, even dancing and rejoicing as God's presence enters into Jerusalem. Israel was poor and destitute and unworthy, and yet God, out of steadfast, faithful love, sent a Messiah, an anointed one, a king, to deliver them from their sins. But is this not what God has done with humanity in general? Did Adam and Eve not sin, but as soon as they did, he promised Eve, there is a seed coming from you who will grow up and he will crush the head of the serpent. He will defeat Satan. Did he not promise Noah and all of humanity with him, I will never again destroy the earth. I'm taking my bow, my weapon of war, and I'm laying it down. I will redeem humanity. 
Did he not tell Abraham, through your seed, no matter what, the nations will be saved and blessed? Did he not tell King David, through your seed, the nations will be saved? And there is one coming from your lineage who will reign on your throne forever and ever and ever. Did not 2,000 years ago God become a man to a wicked and worthless and unfaithful humanity to redeem it? Did not Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of man, the son of God, step into an unworthy people and deliver them of their sins? Jesus Christ became our kinsman, redeemer the eternal, immortal, all-powerful God robed himself in flesh. He became what he was not. He drew near to us that he may redeem us of our sins, pay the price, pay, pay the debt, and give us life eternal. Christ is your steadfast, loving, faithful kinsman, redeemer. The story of Boaz and Ruth is not a love story. It's not a story about marriage and dating. It's a story about God redeeming the world. And so I need you to hear me today. If Israel's unfaithfulness could not stop the promise of God. If the unfaithfulness of the world could not stop the promise of God. If the unfaithfulness of Adam, who brought sin into the world, the unfaithfulness of Noah, who got drunk and naked in a vineyard, the unfaithfulness of Abraham, who lied repeatedly, the unfaithfulness of David, who committed adultery and murder, did not stop the promises of God. What, thinks your, what, what makes you think your unfaithfulness will stop his promises too? His promises are yes and amen. And so I want you to hear me this morning. Maybe you've walked in and you've sinned and you're carrying that burden. You've repented. You've asked for forgiveness. You're not living in it, walking in it, cool with it, none of that. But it is just weighing on you because you're wondering, could God even forgive me after what I did? After what I said to my spouse? After how I went off on my children? After how I treated my employees? After what I looked at on the computer, could he even save me? Yes, he can. Maybe today you've walked in and you've backslidden. Like you served God, but you walked away. Maybe it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years. And you feel the Spirit of God tugging at your heart, calling you home. You, you can see Jesus' arms spread wide on the cross, but you're wondering, could he even forgive me? Yes, he can. God never revokes his promises. His promises are not dependent on your faithfulness. They are dependent on his. And when you repent and believe, you are forgiven and welcomed back into the fold and granted eternal life. Come home today. Come home. But maybe you're struggling as, as if you've seen so much unfaithfulness in your own life. You had a spouse who was unfaithful to you. You had a parent who was unfaithful, maybe to your other parent or to just you as a family. Maybe you, you had a, a church member or, God forbid, an ex-pastor who broke your trust. And you're wondering, can God be faithful if all of these people can't? 
And I don't have a big philosophical explanation, but I just want you to know God is not like man. Is he a man that he should lie? God says, God is faithful. He is untouched by sin and wickedness. He is truth himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Jesus does not change. It is impossible for God to change. And when he makes a promise, he always keeps it. So when God's promised to forgive you, when he's promised to never leave you or forsake you, when he's promised to sanctify you, when he's promised to heal you, when he's promised to raise you at the second coming, he will do it, for God is faithful. Finally, maybe your issue today isn't receiving the faithfulness of God. It's actually reflecting the faithfulness of God. The truth is, is, is you've got a situation right now where you, you need to be faithful. I mentioned it earlier, but married folks, maybe today it's, it's your own marriage. It's not going so well. It doesn't seem like your spouse is doing all that much. You're upholding their end of the bargain or doing what, what the Bible says they're supposed to do. And you're thinking, these people are unworthy of my love. Listen to me, I'm no marriage counselor, nor am I fit to give practical marriage advice. I have not been married that long, but can I come to you as, as a called and ordained servant of the word? The Bible says that marriage is a covenant, and a covenant is a one-way street. No matter what you do, here's what I'll do. I'll be loyal, and I'll be faithful, and I'll love you to the end. God's covenant to his people is a promise in spite of their unfaithfulness that I'll be loyal and I'll love you and I'll be faithful to the end. May we reflect in our marriages that kind of love and loyalty and fidelity that says it may be hard, it may not be easy, it may be difficult, we may have to work on some things, but I promise to be faithful to you and I'll do it to the end. Church, would we be a light in a country where 50% of marriages end in divorce? Would we be a light that says there is a different way through Christ our Savior? Would we shine that light and follow God's way in steadfast, loyal, covenant love? But maybe today it's not that. Maybe it's an enemy in your life. You can feel the Spirit tugging on your heart. You need to bless them. You need to help them. You need to be there for them. It's that boss at work that is a liar, that's rude, that's crude, but maybe tragedy is stricken. Maybe they've just lost a family member. Maybe they're sick right now. Will you show them loyal covenant love? Will you show them love even though you get nothing in return and they don't deserve it? Maybe it's the poor right now. Do you give to the poor and to the needy? Do you give to those who may not even be thankful or can give nothing back to you? Is there someone in your life right now that you know they are the reason their life is in shambles? Can you still choose to love them too? May we be a people who reflect the loyal covenant love of God that gives and gives and gives and gives, expecting nothing in return. Church, would you stand today? I want to pray over you, and then Pastor Chris is going to give us some announcements. Lord, I thank you so much for your holy word. And Lord, I thank you so much for your covenant loyalty and your faithfulness.
God, I thank you that our sin doesn't take away your promise, your promise of the gospel. And so, Lord, today I pray for people who need to be, who need to repent, or that you would grant them repentance by your spirit, that they would turn and believe in you and trust, knowing their sins are forgiven. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would give us supernatural strength to love a world that doesn't deserve our love, just like you've done with us. God, would we reflect it in our marriages, reflect it the way we treat the poor, reflect it towards our enemies in every possible way. We glorify you, we praise you, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.